This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Janice Dean. I'm David Asman. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, August 4th, 2023. I'm Chris Foster. Criminal charges keep piling up for former President Trump. All of these things are potentially dangerous. I mean, actually a real problem, though politically they seem to be very good for the former president. We're speaking with Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It's still early in the clinical trial stage, but there's a new potential cancer-killing pill that's giving people hope. It would be the greatest thing to actually have done and work towards something that would have such human benefit. You'd be why I was born, you know? And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Hours ahead of former President Trump's first appearance in D.C. federal court facing charges related to 2020 election interference, the Republican-led House Oversight Committee releases the transcript of Monday's interview with former Hunter Biden business partner Devin Archer. Before that, we had accounts of the closed-door interview. Joe Biden has lied to the American people. He knew exactly who his son was getting those millions and millions of dollars of wires from, and he spoke to them, and he spoke to them often. It's kind of a preposterous premise to think that a father should not say hello to people that the son is at dinner with, and that is literally all the evidence is. That was Kentucky Republican James Comer and New York Democrat Dan Goldman. Both sides are going to claim victory. The, the left is going to say Devin Archer never told us that Joe Biden, then vice president or since then, was involved in the actual business deals. Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. He wasn't a part of these contracts. He didn't ask for a certain percentage. There's no conversation in which he is negotiating with these foreign actors. Uh, the right will say, but Devin Archer said Burisma essentially, in his opinion, would have gone out of business if not for this Biden brand, quote unquote, and that, you know, then Vice President Biden being able to, oh, make a phone call on speaker during one of these dinners, actually showing up at some of these dinners that had to have a specific benefit to Hunter Biden being involved and it's unmistakable that there was an understanding that Hunter had, quote, leverage within D.C. and that there were very important people he was connected to that made it viable for Burisma to pay him lots of money. Yeah. So, so far, obviously evidence that Hunter Biden's trading on his family name. No concrete evidence that there's any illegality or, or am I missing something? Yeah, I mean, there, there was nothing that Devin Archer said that I've seen in the transcript so far, or we most certainly would have been flagged by Republicans that said, yes, Joe got on the phone and said, here's how we're going to negotiate this. This is what account you're going to pay me this amount. There's nothing along those lines. I mean, Devin just again and again says this was about the Biden name, the Biden connection. At one point, he stopped by a member who was questioning him saying, well, when you say Biden, it doesn't we're not talking about more broadly the family, Dr. Joe Biden, those kinds of things like, no, obviously this had to do with the fact that a guy that's sitting on the Burisma board could get the vice president of the United States on the phone anytime he wanted. All right. So that investigation continues. Um, now, it's three arraignments in four months for former President Trump. He and his supporters in this one say that he had the right, the responsibility to point out election fraud. It's a First Amendment thing. Mm -hmm. um, the indictment mm -hmm. says, well, yeah, he has the right to say whatever he wants, but the case is about action, not speech. 
Right. And his legal team clearly out there telegraphing. That's what this is going to be about, saying you're criminalizing free speech. But it's, you know, one legal expert made it very plain and said this. OK, his view is, sure, you can have a conspiracy and talk about this thing that's illegal to do. It's not the talking about it publicly that is going to get him in trouble. It's the underlying issue of was there actually a conspiracy? So it's going to go a lot to the former president's state of mind. Did he actually thought he'd lost? Did he actually think he'd won? Um, those are all arguments his legal team is going to make and saying, listen, he thought there were still avenues to pursue. Um, there were all kinds of legal things going on. He was relying on the legal advice he was getting from very experienced attorneys. And so all of that is going to come together for their defense. And I got to imagine they're going to push for a change of venue as well, knowing that D.C. is not exactly Trump country. Yeah, West Virginia very much is. That's been a suggestion. I can't imagine that's going to happen, but they can give it a shot. Some of the Capitol riot defendants have tried the same thing and, and were shot mm-hmm. down. Some legal analysts say this indictment is airtight. Some say it's full of holes. Do you have a take on you know, strengths and weaknesses from what you've seen? Um, I honestly think that some of the other cases are more problematic for him legally. I think the documents case is a tougher one for his defense team. But in Florida, remember, too, you're going to have potentially a friendlier jury pool. I think D.C. gets harder for them because not of the indictments, but because of the jury pool, like we talked about, whether there be a change in venue. I mean, none of these cases is good for him. All of them have potential pitfalls time in jail behind bars if convicted. Um, Obviously, our legal system is you're presumed innocent until you're proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That means you get one or two jurors who don't want to go along with that. It changes everything. I think, obviously, the prosecution has a much friendlier pool in D.C. than they do down in Florida. But all of these things are potentially dangerous. I mean, actually a real problem, though politically they seem to be very good for the former president. Legally, they are actually pretty dangerous. How do you find... Is it just automatic grounds for appeal in, in a case like this where the jury pool is so obviously in general, not not that people can't be fair, uh, mm-hmm. bi- um, you know, biased by their votes, at least by looking at their votes against the former president? I mean, how do you find an impartial jury in D.C. or do you just have to say, look, the system's the system and you have to trust that these people can make their own judgments? Yeah, I mean, we all want to trust that our legal system is absolutely going to be fair. Um, You know, they go through this more dire process where the attorneys will question the potential jurors. You have some strikes that you can use outright, but you can't use a strike for anything based on race or anything illegal. So listen, you got to vet the jury and get through them as best you can. Um, If there are problems with that process that are demonstrable, that's something you could talk about on appeal, like, oh, they didn't ask the same questions to everybody. They clearly wanted this person or that person, and they clearly excluded this person or that one on illegal grounds. I mean, those are the kinds of things you can get into. But if it's strictly, we don't like the way the jury voted, and we know that this is in a town that loves President Trump, that's going to be a pretty tough road for an appeal. We forget sometimes that not only, okay, there are three criminal cases right now that are going to trial, probably a fourth coming out of Georgia sometime soon. There are also three civil cases going on in the background Mm -hmm. that all have trial dates. Looking at the calendar, the biggest window for this new January 6th case would probably be late February. I don't know if that's possible. How how does, I've never heard of somebody who was facing so many cases, uh, trials back to back to back to back to back. How is, is there any coordination I mean, it's just in talking to members of the Trump inner circle and of his legal team, you know, you think about how in the world do you guys wade through this? Because any defendant, even if they weren't running for president, would have a very, very difficult 
months and years ahead of them, looking at all of these different trials that are coming, it takes prep time. I mean, to get your client ready for trial, to get the documents ready for trial, which is another thing that John Laura was saying about this, this newest round of um, allegations and indictment connected to January 6th in the 2020 election. He's like, hey, they took years to put together this case. They can't expect us to get this done in six months or whatever they're going to push for. And so then the whole question becomes, is President Trump's entire candidacy about keeping himself out of jail? That's what Will Hurd, former congressman who does not like him, continues to say um, out there in the campaign trail, as most people don't even know that he's running for president or who he is. But he says, you know, essentially he raises a point that is, you know, a conversation worth having. Does President Trump have to win the election in order to save himself? Now, remember, the state is different. I mean, if, if he pardons himself on federal charges, if there were, you know, actual convictions and he actually won, that's that's a lot of big ifs. Um, but the state charges are something different. Yeah, there, there's a, a case in New York City over the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. And there's a, mm -hmm. a, a probably a pending case over election interference in Georgia that, that he couldn't pardon himself on. That's a lot of lawyering. Now, with legal costs, with, with legal costs piling up, does this become a money issue for Trump personally in the campaign? Well, I mean, his opponents have pointed this out. They say that, you know, 40 plus million dollars, they claim of money that he's raised has been used um, in recent months for his legal fees. So they're asking, you know, questions about, listen, donors who think that they're helping you run for the White House, is that, do they know they're just underwriting all of your legal fees? Now, I would think many of the people who would donate to former President Trump would say, absolutely, I want to give my money because I think he's innocent. And this is a, you know, he's being railroaded. So I'm, I'm fine with my money being used for his legal fees. You know, other people kind of have this assumption in their brain, like he's a rich guy, he's got this covered, you know, but like I said, it's one of the points where his candidates um, that are competing with him, the other GOP contenders will say, hey, actually, if you give money to me, I'm not using it to keep myself out of jail. But that's what the front runner is doing. And he is clearly the front runner. How involved would somebody like Donald Trump be in his own defense or defenses? Uh, can you can you defend yourself from all these multiple charges in multiple cases and run for president at the same time? Or is this just on the lawyers? Well, listen, we know he's gone through a lot of lawyers and um, whether that's him, whether that's them. I mean, clearly he is a very um, intense guy. He he is a smart guy. He's going to want to be very involved in his own defense. I don't think he's going to, you know, stand up in the courtroom and start, to, you know, representing himself. But he's going to have very strong opinions. And his legal teams, I think sometimes he's clashed with them. And that's why they've parted ways, because they are advising him to do X. And he's like, I'm a smart guy. I want to do Y. So I think he's going to be intricately involved. I cannot foresee any situation in which he's like, you guys got this. I'm going to go run for president. You just tell me where to show up. Yeah. I just think he's going to be way more hands on than that with his own legal defense. And there's no reason he can't hold his rallies, you know, on the yeah. week, on, on the weekends. He's, he's got it pretty damn pat. He doesn't have to do much preparation for those anymore. Talk about a couple other things. This There's a New York Times-Siena College poll uh, out this week. The, the usual um, President Biden's favorability rating and the, the election. Here's one that jumped out at me. 20% of Democrats say they'd be enthusiastic with Joe Biden as the nominee next year. 26%, a higher number, say they'd be pumped if Kamala Harris was the nominee. Mm -hmm. it, surpri it surprised me that that it, that it flips like that, that there are more people would be enthusiastic. Not that not they wouldn't vote for Biden, but the, the enthusiasm is there for Kamala Harris. Well, and then you have to wonder if it's just simply a question of age. Is it is it the Hunter stuff? Is that making people feel like, oh, no, he's going to be a candidate with some extra baggage we don't want to worry about. Because favorability, she's worse than he is on the overall favorability number. So is there a growing sense that he does have too much baggage, that maybe physically and mentally he's not the the sharpest, fittest, 
um, nominee that the, that the Democrats could put forward. But there, you know, the polling continually shows people don't have a ton of confidence in her, even within her own party. Now, I think lately they've really tried to boost her and get her out there on things that have clicked for her, that have made sense. This fight over the Florida um, social studies uh, curriculum that deals with slavery, obviously on the abortion issue. She's always been a really big, you know, strong pro-choice advocate. She's out there around the country talking about that. So I think she's been out there on topics that are better for her and better showcase her. Um, that, along with the concerns about President Biden, may be um, boosting her a bit. A lot of news this week. Good to talk about it with uh, Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. Shannon, talk soon. See you then. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This is Tommy Laren with your Fox News commentary coming up. A molecular oncology professor in California may be on the path to curing cancer. Dr. Linda Malkus is with the Cancer Research and Treatment Organization, City of Hope, and her pill entering phase one clinical trials is making national news. It's a pill that actually, it's experimental. What it does is it decreases the ability of cancer cells to replicate from a DNA And that's the problem. Cancer is your cells replicating going crazy. Right. That's right. So if and you can't so, replicate, you stop the cancer. That's right. That was discussion on Fox 29 in Philly. Breast cancer survivor Mary Jo Nye told Fox 9 Minneapolis. It could be a game changer for people. She went through with a procedure that removed her breasts. If I would have been able to do it, that's a potential where maybe I could have just taken that and I wouldn't have had to have a double mastectomy. Last year, President Joe Biden restarted his cancer moonshot initiative, something he got started with as vice president. I give you my word as a Biden, this cancer moonshot is one of the reasons why I ran for president. It's part of my unity agenda that I laid out in my State of the Union address to rally the American people to work together. Because we know this, cancer does not discriminate. But some have been working on cancer treatments and drugs long before this initiative, and some of that work might be paying off. So it's the culmination of about 20 years of work. Dr. Linda Malkus is a molecular oncology professor at the City of Hope. We had uh, found uh, a molecular target that was expressed in cancer cells and not in normal cells. And uh, we worked hard at identifying the region of the protein that would potentially serve as the therapeutic site. Uh, so we worked really hard at developing uh, a long time, uh, developing the small molecule that recognizes the form of the protein in cancer cells. We then um, worked uh, to bring that forward, and, and it takes a long time to do that. It's a lot of ups and downs. And tested it in uh, cells growing in culture, you know, normal cells and malignant cells, and showed that it really did have this uh, unique activity. And then uh, for cancer cells and then moved into animal models and moved it eventually now into a phase one clinical trial, which is a trial testing for toxicity. 
Interesting. Yeah. I think after COVID, we all know there's phases of, of trials now, right? We saw that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. And so far um, in the trial, um, we see that uh, as we had premised uh, that it doesn't show toxicity in patients. So we're encouraged by this. Uh, still a lot of work to be done uh, to move it forward. Tell us, does it, how does it work? Does it stop the cell, the cancer cells from replicating? Does it kill them off? Actually both. Um, so when the drug penetrates the cancer cell, it does shut down DNA replication. It also shuts down the ability of the cell to repair the damage that's occurring to the cancer cell DNA. And that leads mm. to the cancer cell death. It, does this work on all forms of cancers? I'm reading tumors, but does this mean not yes, blood cancers? So, so in the very beginning, yes, actually, at blood cancers as well. So in the beginning, when mm. we first found the molecule, we um, actually had sent the compound to the National Cancer Institute. They have um, a testing mechanism. It's called the 60-cell line panel that the NCI has put together. And uh, what that panel represents is the major types of cancer that is seen. And it had activity across all of the board and, uh, oh. of all 60 cell lines. And then we expanded it. So it's about 70 cancer types that we have looked at, including liquid cancers. And then we wow. advanced that further. So it's an oral medication. It's given twice a day. Um, and uh, we have great hopes for it. Tell us a little bit about the backstory here. You've been working this as working on this as you've said for years, and it's named AOH nineteen ninety six. So tell us about what that stands for. So if you know you talked to me, you know all those years ago, I never would have envisioned myself as a drug developer. I mean, it wasn't what I was trained to do. I was a biochemist, molecular biologist. Uh, I could have been very happy just studying, you know, the, this funny protein in cancer cells. But then I had a, um, a chance meeting with a man who literally just came to take my photograph for a newspaper article that was being written about me. And it turned out his daughter, uh, who was only eight years old, who was um, uh, late stage for neuroblastoma, and she had had it for five years. You know, she died not too long after that meeting. And then he and his wife came to my lab and they um, they floored me. They actually gave me a check for $25,000 and said, if you could do something for neuroblastoma, it would mean the world to us. And wow. I, it touched me so much. It did. It really touched me. It really brought it home. So here I had this funny protein that was in cancer cells and not in normal cells and so we thought, wow, maybe we could, you know, if we could target this, maybe we could develop a drug. And so all those years ago, that was the start of it. And that's so the name of the drug, it's in their daughter's name, her honor. We call it AOH 1996. It stands for Anna Olivia Healy. And her birth year was 1996. Wow. Are you still in touch with their family? Like, have they oh, acknowledged yeah. this pill? Oh, oh yeah. all the way, all the way. They, <laughs> in fact, when I got the email 
from the FDA to say that, you know, we can move forward with the clinical trial. They were the first people I, oh. I contacted uh, and shared the news that this was moving forward. And um, they touched me very much. They said, well, now my daughter has, our daughter has an, a legacy. So it's in, oh. that's how we will always remember this. She will always be remembered. That's such a touching story. Um, I also wanted to ask you, though, you know, President Biden restarted his cancer moonshot initiative last year, and the White House said the goal is to, of course, cut cancer deaths, but also improve quality of life for those who have cancer. Have you seen any of the benefits of of that moonshot, you know, grants, or was your work sort of beyond that? So, uh, no, I, uh, we, you know, as I said, we were just trucking along and, uh, you know, but I do support, of course, the, the goals of the moonshot. I mean, that's okay. To be very honest, you know, way back when my first love was to be a space scientist. So, uh, (laughs) I'm all for moonshots. And so I support the goals of the program. And uh, things are changing rapidly, how we think about cancer, how we would treat it, how we will treat it in the future is leaps and bounds. I mean, it is a moonshot compared to, you know, when I was trained in the last millennium. Because <laughs> uh, you know, when we, you know, when I was, when I was in school, you know, we were all thinking there was going to be a magic bullet, you know, one thing. But we sure have figured out by now that, you know, cancer is each person's cancer is almost individual, like their fingerprint, because there's there's underlying genetic changes. And every one of these cancers is almost unique in a lot of ways. Are they not unique in that they all in that all cancer cells have this protein that you're targeting? Yeah. So this is a very basic you know, it's not a start, you know, I've been asked, you know, does this thing start cancer? I said, no, you know, this is a reflection of the overall, I think, in uh, if you want to call it environmental change inside of a cancer cell, there's a lot of changes that go on when uh, a cell goes from normal to cancer. There's, you know, environmental changes and the change in the cancer cell environment is what's promoting the change on this protein. So how long, I mean, phase one, how long, how long do we wait? And I guess you're waiting to see if in phase two or phase three, God forbid, you get some feedback that this isn't, you know, the, the magic bullet. I I imagine you wouldn't stop because there's, there's something promising here, but what are we talking about in terms of a timeline? Well, so we, you know, you get through phase one, which is straight toxicity trial. And so far, uh, the patients who have been on the tri- the trials so far, they show no toxicity, which is you know wonderful because that was the premise of the drug. Uh, then you go into a phase two, which looks for efficacy, and then phase three, which is a very big efficacy trial looking over a large population. You know, you can only follow the science. I always say that I'm like Alice, you know, except I follow the science rabbit down the hole. <laughs> uh, of course, there's always risk in all of these things. But, you know, I'm I'm one of so many investigators around the world, you know, that are giving it the best shot based on what they have found in their laboratories. It's not a walk in the park. So, uh, you know, we're in the process of accruing our patients. And uh, hopefully, you know, within the next year, year and a half, we'll complete this 
phase one trial, and then, um, you know, we will move forward into the phase two, and that that takes a, another two years or so to accrue and, and then analyze the data. So it's a process. It's a step-by-step, but um, I'm really glad I made the choice to take a really hard path. I'm sure people are anxious and hopeful about this. Um, it's affected so many lives, and hopefully this will Gosh, I mean, <laughs> you you might have uh, you might make millions of people feel as though they they you know won the lottery if this works. For me, it would. Uh, I lost my father to cancer, and mm. I've lost other people I've loved to cancer. Uh, it would be the greatest thing, you know. Little Anna was lost to cancer. It would be the greatest thing to actually have done and worked towards something that would have such human benefit. You'd be why I was born, you know? Uh, yeah, it's huge. I don't know how to say goodbye to you, but we'll hopefully, well, let's talk after phase two, right? Okay. Will you call us back? Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Linda Malkus, City of Hope Molecular Oncology Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for your interest. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. Just when it seems like it's tough to bring people together, a rodeo goat has come to the rescue. Actually, it's the absence of said rodeo goat, but you get the point. It happened in South Texas, Raymondville to be exact, about 50 miles north of the Texas-Mexico border. That's where the goat gave folks the slip at a youth rodeo last month, spending about two weeks on the lamb. The people of the Rio Grande Valley said, nope, not on our watch, and they spent days scouring cotton and sugarcane fields near the pen where the big escape happened. Then local businesses got involved, donating dozens of prizes and gifts worth more than five grand, including brisket and salon services, as a reward for the person who found the goat. When the goat first went missing, it didn't have a name, but after a poll on the Livestock Show's Facebook page, it was newly christened Willie, short for Willisey County, where all the intrigue happened. The search has also been helpful for the Livestock Show, as hundreds of dollars in donations have come in to make improvements to the nonprofit's arena and other facilities. As for Willie, freedom proved to be short-lived. The goat is in custody, and according to photos posted by a Raymondville City commissioner, looks to be in good shape. But just think about what Willie did and saw since the big breakout. Oh, the places you'll goat. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Lahren. What's on your mind? Did you think one of the dumbest times in modern American history, the COVID era, was over? Well, not at over 100 colleges across the U.S. where COVID vaccine mandates are still in effect for students. Yes, despite what we know about the efficacy of COVID vaccines and the low risk COVID itself poses for young people, there are still 104 colleges that have held on to the ridiculous and tyrannical COVID vaccine mandate. Included in that list, University of Pittsburgh, Rutgers, as well as San Diego State. 
state. Rutgers will even reportedly begin disenrolling students who have not complied with the COVID vaccine mandates in just a couple weeks. This is madness. There is no justification for this given the COVID vaccine in however many doses does not and will not prevent the infection or spread of COVID. What this boils down to is control and the inability of so-called experts to admit they've been wrong about COVID and COVID vaccines from the jump. I'm Tommy Laren. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.